Hello, everyone. Hello, 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 and welcome. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those that don't know where the mountains are. Um, and uh, yeah, our website's dansfish.com if you want to check some stuff out. We're going to show you a whole bunch of new fish that we got in that we're very excited about. This is an exquisite import. Let me just say that. This is an exquisite batch of new fish, and we're excited to share them with you. So we'll be getting that to do uh, that shortly. We want to start... <laughs> We want to start <laughs> with the import, or sorry, the shipping report. Guys, in case you can't tell, I'm a little frazzled. I just spent the last, what, half hour frantically entering fish into the computer so I can show you all the fish on the import. And there's like a hundred of them or something. So uh, I, I literally like was cramming. It was like a final, you know, in college. I was cramming, trying to get the test done. And then it was time to be done. It was seven o'clock and I haven't had a chance to like get in the live stream mode yet. So apparently I can't talk. Anyway, the shipping report is just fine. Um, no problems. Everything's going great since we last talked. So short report, short and sweet. And now let's move on to the giveaway because we have a ton of fish to talk about. Um, I know a lot of you are looking forward to it and I don't want to keep you waiting so the giveaway for tonight is some orange Venezuelan Corydoras, one of the prettiest little Corydoras out there. And uh, I'm going to show you a lot of neat Corys tonight. We have some amazing stuff, stuff I think you've probably never seen before, a lot of you. But before we get to that, to enter to win some Corydoras tonight, it's just hashtag orange. Hashtag O-R-A-N-G-E. No spaces or anything. Doesn't have to be capitalized or anything like that. Just hashtag orange will enter you to win into the drawing to win some orange Venezuelan quarries. These guys are small right now. I would say three quarters of an inch to an inch, but they're doing really well. There's no, no sunken bellies or anything like that. They're, they're fat and sassy and happy and doing good. So uh, they actually ship pretty darn well at this small size. Now, without further ado, let's get straight. <laughs> Joe Coffee. Corys are almost as cool as plecos. Well, we'll show you some cool plecos too. Let's get straight into it. Um, I need to bring up an image here. And let me test something out. Yeah, that will go straight into it. Okay. So the first one we're going to talk about is the L236 Super Whites. Um, I was able to get some in. These are a very good strain. These, uh, this is a picture of the parents. Um, the broodstock came straight from Ernst Schmidt, who is best friends with the big guy over there, Robert. They collaborate and breed together all the time. So um, if you've heard of RB strain Super Whites, that's Robert um, Boudrovic, Boudrovican, something like that, uh, German breeder. Um, Ernst Schmidt is his close friend and collaborator. Our stock came directly from Ernst, Ernst, it's not Ernest, it's just Ernst uh, Schmidt. This is a picture of one of our brood stock. Um, I, I didn't breed these, by the way. I, I got these from a breeder, um, but they came, this fish, these guys came directly from Ernst. And then 
The reason I want to show you the picture of this parent is because the babies look very different. They change a lot as they mature. But here's a picture. We, we pulled some, we just took some pipes in the tank and four or five babies came out and we took pictures of them. We didn't select or anything. These are some of the babies. So these little babies are the ones we have for sale. They're about 1.75 to two inches. Now this is a picture just, just to show you some difference. This picture was taken, same camera, same settings, just it was taken in a little tub with a white bottom versus these were taken in my hand so they have a little, little peach on them. But this is a fish that is a bucket list for a lot of people. This is the one that when uh, Ross saw it when we were unpacking the order, his heart stopped a little bit. <laughs> I thought we were going to lose Ross. So that is fish number one. I'm very excited to have those. Um, there's a lot of, how do I put this? I don't want to call Pleco people dishonest. That's not what it is. When you get into higher value fish, higher dollar fish, you get into, um, there's a lot of people trying to make a quick buck. So there's a lot of scammers that go around claiming that they can sell you zebra plecos, L46s, 046, right? Um, and a lot of people have been scammed with, for a lot of money from people doing that. The same with these super whites. So there's, you have to be really careful where you get them from. Um, and I'm happy to say, I, I think you can buy these with confidence. I've verified their origin. Um, I know that the brood stock came from Ernst Schmidt. I have pictures of the parents. The breeder I've got them from is a guy that I is very well respected and uh, well known. And so I, I think these are going to be good for you. They're not cheap by any means, but we know exactly where they came from. So that's important. A lot of people have spent a lot of money on super whites just to find out, oh, I didn't really get super whites, right? Or, or they didn't get fish at all. That happens too. So be careful out there. The next one is the L46 Zebra Pleco. We have a great batch of these. They're doing perfect. So I'm very excited to have those. Um, these are the L333s. So there's the King Tiger Pleco, which we have. And then there's this, which they're calling the gold or yellow King Tiger Pleco. These come from Belamonte. Um, and they're just, uh, you know, another flavor of the striped. But I, I kind of hate it using the term yellow King Tiger because I feel like it's confusing. But that's kind of what the industry's decided to call them. So L333s. And then we also have the albino version of the L333, which is actually a neat little fish. Um, a lot of albinos are really washed out. Not a big fan of most of them, but these look these look okay. Um, L137Bs, another hypencistrus. We kind of went crazy on the plecos here. These are the L600s, one of the, the cactus plecos, the leopard cactus. And, and they're super pretty. They're really cool. And they're doing great. These are another flavor of, of cactus pleco. These are the L97s. They, they're dark with a lot of polka dots on them. Then we have more Sultan plecos just because they're one of my favorites and they, they do well. They don't get too big and they're, they're a neat fish. 
This is the L114. This is a, another kind of leopard cactus pleco. Um, basically, the stuff I got is I tried to get plecos that don't get too big. I didn't want any tank busters, right? So that's that's kind of how I decided what to bring in. Stuff that doesn't get, you know, stuff that isn't going to feed your entire family at Thanksgiving. Um, and then that's the end of the plecos. We did get more Congo spotted puffers in for anyone. Some folks have been asking, how many more do you have? And are you running out? And I want to buy them, but my tank's not ready. And I've got to, you know, I need a couple weeks. We've got another batch coming up and they're doing fantastic. Actually, I, I think this is the best batch we've ever had. What did you think? Yeah. I got a yeah. <laughs> Usually when we get Congo spotted puffers, they come in great, but there's... Um, or spotted Congo puffers. But there's usually like just a couple individuals that I'm worried about because they're smaller than the rest or skinnier than the rest. And they take a lot of time to get up, up to par, up to standard for shipping. When this batch came in, they all had nice fat bellies. There wasn't any that, that we were worried about. So that was a nice change. Okay, now I'm going to bring up the second list. So these are the corridors we brought in. And we'll start with the CW-127s. These are the Super Parallelis Corridors. <laughs> really super cool fish. I'm just so glad to have them. Um, these are the CW-124s. Oh, it wants a space. Let's see what happens when we put a space. Not much. <laughs> CW-124s. I'm loving these. These are the Cruziensis. These pictures don't look great. They make it look like a faded Julie, Corey. They look, this is pretty good. They have a really, really light background and they have these largest spots on them that are, that are really dark. The thing that isn't right here is this blotch is pretty much solid black. On, oh, here we go. That blotch there. And then they have the nice flag tail. So I, they might be my favorite of the batch. They're just really cute. They're a smaller species. They're very cute. And uh, I like the contrast. We got some Fulleri, not to be confused with Fowleri, which is what Google always wants to take me to. Um, these were named after Ian Fuller, who um, founded Corydoras World, where all the CW numbers come from, and has described numerous Corydoras. Um, this, I would say, is a fairly accurate shot this this is what they look like except for this black bar is actually pretty thick and bold here we go that's a that's a good one so really light base color with the bold what they're looking like in my tank they have a light sand bottom is this kind of base color but with this fairly bold stripe here anyway corridor corridor is fowler eye here's the next one sipalawini just a cute little Cute, small species of cori. That's super cute, right? Look at that. <laughs> then here we have the um, Corydoras narcissus. This is the long-nosed skunk cori. These guys are really expensive. Um, they're hard to find, but we were able to get some in. And they grow a lot bigger than your Arcuatus or your average skunk cori. This is the Similis, the smudge spot quarry, or the 
they sometimes they call them the violet cory. Um, just a cute little cory, not too expensive. These guys. Some of the CW numbers and the super parallels, those are pretty darn expensive. But similes aren't aren't too pricey. LSA is not too pricey. Corridor is LSA. And then to top it all off, we got some more pygmaeus, little pygmy quarries. Because who doesn't love a nice big school of those little guys? Um, and man, the pygmy quarries have been rock solid. They're doing absolutely fantastic. So no worries with those. Now I've got a final page to show you. Um, actually not a final page. We have two more, <laughs> two more. This next one I am super excited about, and I'm going to talk about these fish for a bit. Okay. I brought in several species of gobies. Um, we brought in stiffodons, Sicyopus, and Sicyopterus gobies, as well as lentipus. And I'm going to show you what we got, and then I want to talk a little bit about where they come from and uh, a little bit about their life cycle because it's super interesting. The first one is Multiscomatus. It's the teardrop goby. It's so uncommon, it's really hard to find pictures, but looky here. This, I don't know if this is it, but it's pretty darn close to it. Um, I can't wait for the new Amazonas magazine edition to come out because it's going to have a bunch on gobies. This is a picture of one of our fish from the last batch. Um, really, really pretty fish. And then this is a picture from a scientific journal of one that's uh, better colored. But I would say if you look at this and this and go somewhere in between there on the color, you're about right. Maybe I've just never seen them fully colored up for breeding, um, but they're an absolutely fantastic fish. Good size for, for what they are, about two inches or so and uh, doing great. Next one is what they call the flying arrow goby. This is Sicyopus zosterophum. I said that way wrong. Zosteroforum, zosteroforum. Um, and they get this red, pink to red back with this nice banding on a gray front. Now, right now, they look like this, gray with pink. Although ours aren't emaciated, this one looks, let's say that, gray with pink on them. Um, but because they're not in breeding mood right now, when they're in breeding mood, they're supposed to get really nice hind ends, <laughs> really nice red. The next one is Rubicundus. This is the lipstick goby. Um, and they look just like this, uh, bright orange, red, on the back with bright lips. We got a lot of lentipus in. This is multiradiatus. Although I have to say, ours look better than this. Um, Jonathan got an even better picture than this where you can see the oranges coming in. It's kind of faded out here a little bit. That maybe gives you an idea. The oranges coming in on the blues. We also brought in Lentipus venustus, which is a really, really pretty fish. Um, half blue on the head, half orange, blue on the body with orange fins and white margins. Nice, nice looking fish. Now, I do want to say these are nuptial males in a lot of these pictures. So the non-nuptial males, actually, they do color up when you feed them. You put food in and they, they color up and try to claim the food areas. Um, 
But a non-nuptial male, I can't find a real accurate. There's just not a lot of pictures of these guys. Um, I don't think this is the right species, but I would say kind of like that. Um, not, not as like super saturated is that, but still a pretty fish. Um, and when you feed them, they color up, which is kind of cool to watch. We brought in some Lentipus Kaye, which are these guys. These are the uh, new Caledonian red nose goby is their scientific, their, their common name. Sorry. And this comes from a scientific paper. This is an actual picture taken by the scientist. Um, of a nuptial male in its native habitat. Really, really pretty fish. Let's see here, where am I at? We brought in Lentipus Ikea, the green belly or blue belly goby. Um, and a lot of times when you see them, uh, let's see. Yeah, a lot of times when you see them, they, well, this is a female, so that's not fair. Here you go. A lot of times they don't have, they're kind of just brown. Um, but this fish actually does get a pretty pleasing, I want to say that's accurate. Is that, I don't know if this is actually that species, but this is close to the color I've seen on this batch um, when you feed them and they color up, something like that. So they actually do get pretty pleasing coloration, even though they're one of the more common ones. Let's move to Stiphodons. These guys are absolutely fantastic. This is Stiphodon elegans. This is a nuptial male here. But even when they're non-nuptial, they still have like this. This is close to, I would say, what ours look like um, when they're settled in in the aquarium, even when they're not fully, fully fired. Nice looking fish. We did bring in more Rutilarius and guys... These pictures are not lies. Like they really are when they fire up, they really are this bright. Here's a picture that we took of one of ours. Um, we didn't do any funny business. They really are a super pretty fish. Now, when they're not colored at all, now that one looks even duller than I would say I've seen them. Let me see if I can show you one that isn't. Yeah, so they look like this or this even when they aren't colored. Um, they've got a neat pattern and things, but there's always one or two in the batch that is colored up They're They frequently color up. So they're, they're not a boring fish at all. They're really pretty. Stiff it on Annie. We brought some more of these in. This is an actual photo from a, a scientific, um, journal. Um, as far as I know, <laughs> so, and they do look fantastic. Uh, some of these fish, you know, you have to be careful with fish photos. Oftentimes they're just photoshopped to the point that they're a lie, right? They just saturate the colors like crazy and bring up the vibrance like crazy and stuff. So you do have to be careful. But um, yeah, I mean, that's easily they get that pretty right there. They're a fantastic, beautiful fish. And they, they color up like that in our tanks. I, I've seen them nice and bright. So it's not just in the wild, like some fish. Um, here's Peloensis, a neat goby that gets these nice black and white bars. When they're not colored up, they look pretty much like, like that. I would say that's fairly accurate. 
Um, let's see here. Ariofuscus. This is very accurate. This is a male that's that's settled in and feeling dominant. They have these orange fins. Um, even when they're not feeling particularly frisky, they're still cool. They have the zigzag pattern and, and a little orange on the fins. But when they settle in, they do get that nice orange fin. I don't think you're sharing your screen. Oh, geez. Thanks. I was just notified that I wasn't sharing my screen. Go figure. Here's the Peloensis. Here's a nuptial male. Nice. And, I, and they do this. Like, I think I only have males as far as I can tell. Um, but they, a few in the batch will color up like this, even if they aren't trying to breed. But when they aren't totally dominant or nuptial, when they're subdominant or non-nuptial, um, they look like this, which is still a pretty cool fish. Here's one. Here's a non-nuptial male and, and a nuptial male. Sorry about that, guys. Sometimes I forget to flip back. So here's Ariofuscus. Here's what one looks like when it's not feeling particularly dominant. Orange on the fins, zigzag pattern. Here's a male that's feeling fully dominant. And they frequently look like this, by the way. If you get a group of, I don't know, six or eight, two of them will always be colored up vine and those two will turn down and then another one or two will color up so they there's a lot of activity and a lot of color with these gobies uh, i already did that one that one here we go this one is atropurpurensis um it's similar it, it's like a neon goby i would say um the main difference is if you look here you see some color some pattern in the dorsal fins and the um, caudal fin in the normal blue neon goby that we all know and love, um, which is Simone, the fins are clear. So here's a Simone, clear fins. Here's an, oops. Here's another one, clear fins versus pigment on the fins. That's how you can tell those two apart. A lot of these gobies are very difficult to tell apart. Um, sometimes you need DNA testing just to figure them out. At least I would. Okay, now here is the last batch. Everyone take a deep breath. I'm going to get a drink of water real quick. Boom. <laughs> and then we'll get into the last page. This was a big import. Okay. More to share. Getting to the end of it. There's so many on here that's just G's across the top. You can't even see what you put. Um, betta cochina, red wine betta, just a peaceful, hearty, beautiful little betta that you can keep in groups. Um, I know we all think bettas are super aggressive, but that's mostly the betta splendens. There's many different species of bettas. Most of them are not super aggressive and can be kept together. We brought in the blue Guyanacara. Um, I... For the life of me, I've never been able to say that name, um, but that's the one. This one is, is hard to find. Um, it, it's hard to differentiate the different Guyanacara. These are only like an inch or an inch and a half. So I'm going off my supplier's word, but this is a good supplier, a good breeder. And they have several different species of Guyanacara available. It's one of the fish they kind of do. And so I think the odds are pretty darn good that this is, in fact, whatever that is, the blue Guyanacara. Um, 
just for my faith in that supplier. African butterfly cichlids, if you are new to keeping cichlids, this is a fantastic one. They're small, they're peaceful, they're colorful, they're super hardy, and they're easy to breed. They go great in community aquariums, fantastic little starter fish, or you know, if you're an expert and you're just sick of failing with the hard stuff, you need a break, you need some success. <laughs> They're success. Mrs. Bimaculatus, this is the two-spot catfish. Um, we had some of these before and sold them, and they did really well for our customers. Everyone that bought them loves them. They're full of personality. They don't get too big. A lot of the catfish get, you know, eating size. You could feed a village with some of them. Um, these top out at three, four inches as far as I know. If anyone's got one that's grown bigger, please let me know, but they're, they're not a giant species. Another catfish, this is the spotted Raphael catfish. I like them just because of the contrast. I've always thought, you know, you can have the, the striped or the spotted, um, and I've always just preferred the spotted just because of the color. We did get a nice batch of licorice gouramis. I wasn't going to but they're one of my favorites, so I gave them to Temptation, and I did. They're the um, Desneri, these guys. Um, this is, let's see here. I'm not even quite sure that is a Desneri. This is a fully nuptial male. This is what they look like when they're not specifically breeding. They're still a, a really pretty fish. Once they settle in, they color up nicely. Really small dwarf guys, but these get bigger than most of the licorice gouramis, which is why they're the one I tend to bring in. They're doing fantastic. More Santa Maria endlers, my favorite endler. Um, however, I only have males, so they're pretty. They're not going to reproduce, but if you want a really pretty fish for a nano tank and don't want to deal with managing a bunch of babies, this is a great fish to have. We also got some panda guppies in as well. A different hillstream loach, um, stenocephalus. These are spotted and they get a nice blue iridescence on the tail and the dorsal fin. We did bring in some rice fish. These are Arisius celebensis. Um, these are wild caught fish. We can often get the Indian rice fish in and, and a couple other species, but this one's harder to get. Um, they're actually pretty pricey. I know they're rice fish, um, so probably only real rice fish connoisseurs are going to go for these. They're hard to get. I would say this is accurate to what they look like right now. They have a dark bar down, uh, down the kind of back half of the body, extending into the tail. Um, they're hard to get. I brought them in just because I figured there's got to be someone out there that likes rice fish and has always wanted to get this species, and they're hard to get. Um, some red Bex Beckford's pencil fish, just because they're the ultimate dither fish. They're, they're great. I don't know why they always show these. This is not them. <laughs> this is a very expensive different fish. But uh, this, I would say, is fairly accurate to them. Little, little silver tips and some red on them. Melanotania bosmane atinjo. These are big. These came in at two and a half inches, maybe. Um, nice colors on them. This is the one everyone kind of covets because it's got a nice orange coloration. It hasn't been um, 
the, the colors haven't been washed out through just years and years of breeding on the farms. This is an absolutely spectacular location of the Bosmani rainbow fish. So if you take a classic Bosmani aquarium strain, you're like, I like that. Then this is that fish all dressed up on its way to its wedding. They are absolutely stunning. Another really pretty fish. Um, I can't find any pictures of it because it's really hard. <laughs> no one has them, but here's the best picture we could take of them. These are the Gertrudei, a, a nice little blue Ayasudamugil. These are from Aru 4, and the reason I like them is they have these yellow, orangish, deep yellow, I would say, tips on their fins, and this extension on the anal fin and this. So they take the um, classic this is your classic aquarium string or true day, nice spots, nice fins, all that. Um, and they dress it up with some nice yellow tips and extensions. Uh, I think my favorite of the Gertrude. We have an excellent batch of Pseudomogil uh, Luminatus. A lot of times these guys come in skinny and bad shape and um, are are hard to get a good source for. This batch came in rock solid, fat, big, and really pretty. I don't think I can oversell this batch, let's put it that way. If this is a fish you've been wanting to try but you've been hesitant to try, this is the batch to try. They're big and they're rock solid, beautiful. Um, Monotania goldii, the ones I have are from the Goldie River. And uh, let's see. Yeah, here's here's a picture. I don't know the exact location of this one. Um, I don't. I couldn't find a picture. I didn't take a lot of time to look. I was in a rush, but I haven't found a picture from the Goldie River yet. We did bring in some Wanamensis, which is often called the Green Dragon, or sometimes they call it the Blue Dragon. Big extensions on the fins when they get fully grown, like this, um, and nice blue colors on them, and. They'll, they'll fire up. They'll get a nice blaze. We also brought in the red dragon, which is the uh, Glossolepis um, multisquamatus. And Chilotherina alani wapoga, because it's one of everyone's favorites. This is one of the prettiest rainbow fish out there. And uh, it's hard to keep them in stock, so I brought in quite a few. This is a hard to find one. This is a, a species from Kiunga. It doesn't have a species name yet, but location is Kiunga. Really pretty rainbow fish. Hard to find. Another really nice one is uh, Glossolepis gedomen or gedomen village. It's the same fish. These guys are absolutely beautiful. And I can't keep them in stock either. Um, so I have, I, have, I have some, but they're not going to last. Moanitania picta. There was someone, Stephen P. 2003 Aquatics. Is this one you were asking for? I couldn't remember if it was you or not, but someone was asking for them. So um, last minute I added them to the order. I, I don't remember who ordered them. Well, this is a perennial favorite just because they're so pretty. Caladiri. There are no good pictures of big colored up Caladiri out there. This is the best one I've got. We took this, but this doesn't show the really neat greens and things um, that they get on the body. It's really hard to get their nice colors, but 
they're beautiful fish. I know, I know several folks have got them from me in the past. If you're one of those people, um, you know what I'm talking about. Really nice. This is one that when um, Candy Overholes came and visited me, um, this is one that stopped her in her tracks. She was looking at that tank. Another one of my favorites are um, Melanotania sex lineata. I like them because they're, they're just this beautiful gold green color. I would not say that this is an exaggeration at all. They really are an iridescent gold green color. They're sometimes called the red-lipped rainbow fish because they get these, these pink lips. And um, let's see here. Is there a picture here? of one of ours that we took from before. Oh, there is on our website, but they look absolutely fantastic. Calliowallum, this is a fairly new one and is difficult to find. Oh, it looks like there's a picture from Gary Lang here. Uh, so these are basically a blue fish with a nice blaze. So if you like blue fish, but you don't want uh, kamakas or um, lasustris, then this is another you know, Chilotherina version <laughs> of a blue fish. Deep blue, look at that with that dark stripe. There are some folks that have got them from me. And if you go to Angelfish Live, um, you'll be able to see um, some folks that are posting pictures of fish that they've got from me and growing up. Um, so if you go on Rainbow Fish Live and look at uh, Rob Oliver's pictures, you can kind of see fish he's gotten and what they look like as they grow up, along with some other folks. Um, this is Coming River. This is one that I really like because even from a small size, they look fantastic. They're iridescent blue, um, even from a small size. Onelli, really difficult to find. Um, these come from Onelli Creek, and they don't have a species name yet. These are a little pricier. They, they cost me quite a bit to bring them in just because there's so little supply. Now we're almost done. <laughs> we'll get to your questions and comments soon. Um, Sudadanio axelradi, we got the blue form. I would say that they're every bit as pretty, if not prettier than that. Um, doing really well for us. Brought in more of the um, Bolivian or orange lemon tetras. This is a regular lemon tetra. And this is a color variant that's more orange that is very recent. It's got the orange there instead of the yellow um, and orange on the body as well. Kind of new fish. We did get more celestial pearl danios. I'm, I'm pleased to say it's a big fat batch, fat and sassy. None of these scrawny little pinch belly fish came in. I, I, well, I don't want to, I was going to show one, but I don't want to um, badmouth a competitor. They, they look like this, nice and fat. Um, and then last but not least is Microdivario cubati, the neon green rasbora. Now, before we get to your questions and comments, I want to talk a little bit more about the gobies because they're, they're pretty new. Let me shut down all these tabs just because I'm afraid it's going to crash my system. That's like a hundred something tabs open. Shut those down, shut those down, <laughs> shut those down. And then let me show you this. So I have created here a little map to show you where these come from. 
these are all the goby species that that I brought in that I currently have available. Now the major export center for Indonesia and Papua New Guinea um, in the surrounding areas is Jakarta right here on, on the island of Java. Um, so the fish have to get here in order to be distributed to hobbyists like me. You'll notice some of the fish are very um, reasonably priced. Sikiopterus parvi, which I didn't even show you, um, the Ikea, a lot of these fish aren't too, too crazy expensive. Uh, somewhere in the 10 to $20 range, let's say. Um, but there's some of these that are very expensive. And I just wanted to show you why. Let's talk example for the one from New Caledonia. This is the Caledonian um, red nose or the flying arrow that comes from Vanuatu. These are far flung islands. There's no regular big trade going back and forth here, right? Um, if we look at this one from Palua, the Peloensis, tiny little island out in the middle of nowhere. This is at least, I think this is about 2000 miles, if not more from Jakarta. So the gentleman that I get these from has to set up all these complicated supply routes in order to obtain these fish. Now, something that is a bit of a downer about these gobies is they are not produced in aquariums. They're only collected from the wild. And that is because of their life cycle. Um, when they spawn, the newly hatched babies are washed out to the ocean. That's where they develop. Once they're about a centimeter or so, maybe half a centimeter to a centimeter in size, then they go back into the fresh water and make their way back up the stream. So kind of like salmon, I, I suppose, or eels or something like that. Because of that, it's very difficult to raise the fry because they have the same problem as a lot of marine fish have, which is a lot of marine fish become part of the plankton cloud when they're first hatched. And they're eating these tiny, tiny little organisms in these, these specific feeding chains that they use that are just very difficult to replicate um, in an aquarium environment. So all of the Stiphodons, Sichiopus, Sichiopterus, and um, Lentipus gobies are all collected from the wild. There's just, no one's cracked the code on captive breeding on those fish yet. So the supplier has to figure out how to get a fish all the way from over here to Jakarta in good shape and then send it to me. So if you can imagine the work and the distance and the cost of transporting a fish, going out onto a jungle island, going to the source, collecting them, and getting them back to Jakarta, it's a big, big operation. That is reflected in the cost of some of these fish. And the further flung they are, the, the more expensive they tend to be. So these guys, the uh, Kaye, oh, geez, this whole time? Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I've got my producer here keeping me straight. Thank you. Um, so these guys, the Lentipus Kaye, the um, new Cal Caledonia red nose, um, are pretty pricey because they have to somehow get 2,000 miles back to Jakarta. There's 
there's a lot of that happening. So you'll notice that. Also, the ones from Papua tend to be pretty pricey because it's difficult to collect fish in Papua. Just ask anyone that's gone and collected rainbow fish. It's uh, There's little infrastructure and you're it's you're backpacking basically through the jungle to get to these things. So when you see the price, it's not that I've taken a $1 fish and marked it up to 70 bucks or whatever. Um, it's that in order to source the fish and get it in my hands, it's a big logistical process. And there's no cheap way to go out and do it. So some of them are reasonably priced because they're, uh, you know, closer to the source, Jakarta being the export hub. Um, but as you see, some of these are going to be quite, quite pricey. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit um, just to understand what's involved in getting them. Because you're like, that's a one to two inch fish. Why is that so expensive? That's why. So, but we've got something for everyone. Not all of them are super expensive, but some of them are going to shock you. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, okay. Wow. That was 42 minutes of me just talking about new fish. Oh, the other thing I want to talk about that's kind of cool is, um, so they have this lifestyle, right? Where they spawn in fresh water, little babies go out and then young come back and, they live most of their lives in freshwater. It's just that first development stage that they're in the ocean. And something that's, that's interesting that the collectors have found as, is that at first, as they go through, they find, um, Sikio, I'm sorry, they find, um, Stiphodon gobies and Sikiopterus gobies. Those are more of the algae eaters. And what they find is in, in the first parts of the creeks and rivers, closest to the ocean, um, there's a lot of sunlight banging down on these things. They haven't reached the deep jungle yet. They're kind of still on the coast. And so since there's so much sunlight, you get a ton of algae growing, you get all kinds of critters in the algae. And so the stiphodons and the Sikiopterus graze on the rocks. So they're, they're a lot like a hillstream loach. They go and they graze or like a pleco, let's say, or a gara. Um, they need a lot of vegetable matter in their diet and they take a long time to eat. So if you're going to get these, you have to figure out how to feed them. You can feed them algae pellets and, or wafers and um, large carnivore pellets to give them some protein. Um, you can feed them nori, like just seaweed for sushi, right? Um, all kinds of vegetable matter. But they need a long time to eat. And so you can't keep them with fish that are so fast to the food. Like a tank full of barbs would just outcompete them, right? Danio's same thing because they'd eat all the food. These guys just graze slowly all day long, kind of like feeding a pleco because they come from those sunny parts where there's plenty of algae and biofilm coating all the rocks and the streams they live in. As you get further upstream into the jungle, there's a lot less sunlight on the streams or the rivers. And that's where you find the lentipus and the Sikiopus. These are carnivores. So these will eat frozen bloodworms. They love baby brine shrimp. Um, they'll eat frozen brine shrimp as well, but they need, they're not gonna eat flake foods or pellets or wafers. Um, the Sikiopterus will, and the Stiphodons will. But the Sikiopus and the Lentipus need live or frozen foods. 
there. I have got a couple batches of IKEA to feed on pellets and, and prepared foods, but it literally took months. Um, and most of them I've never got transitioned over. So just be aware of that. Um, I think oftentimes we lump them together in feeding, and, and that's not the case. There's a certain group that is a benthic rasper. They're just going to rasp like a pleco, need a lot of vegetation in their diet. They're really an omnivore because when they're scraping, they're eating a lot of biofilm, which is this protein-rich, um, more animal-based thing. <laughs> um, and they're also eating the algae, but within the biofilm and within the algae, there's all kinds of little critters that they're eating. So even though they're eating algae, they're eating lots of other stuff. So I, I think of them more as like an omnivore that needs lots of veggies in the diet. But the others, the lentipus and Sicyopus won't do well on that. Live and frozen meaty foods is what they need. Um, okay. Whew. With that, I need a break. I'm just going to take a quick drink here. Cheers. Everybody wants to know when the fish are going to be available. Oh, okay. Oh, we'll get into that. So the fish will be listed Friday. Um, we're all working like mad to get them listed. We've written up really nice descriptions for a lot of them, but it takes a lot of time. Writing a description is like writing a, a miniature article. <laughs> you still have to do the research. You still have to really kind of dig in and get to know the fish. Um, but we're doing that. We'll be listing all of them Friday that I've talked to you about. There's a few that we aren't listed yet aren't going to list yet. They'll need another week to settle in. A um, couple, couple species got ick, so we've had to treat that. And when fish get sick, I just want to give them a little more time to settle. A couple species came in kind of rough, and so we're just giving them more time to settle in. Things like that. But everything I shared with you today, I believe, will be listed for sale Friday morning, we hope. Friday morning's the plan. They might not all have really nice descriptions just because of time constraints, but they'll all be there. The other thing I don't know if I'll have time to do is a new fish tour the same day they come out because I'm focusing so much in um, writing the descriptions for the listings. So it might be a few days after the fish are listed that we actually do the tour, but they'll be listed Friday with or without a description. Yes. All right, with that, we're going to turn the time over to you guys, get to your questions and comments. Chat has jumped like crazy. So if you left a question or comment up uh, above, I'm not going to see it. So please relist it now um, so I have a chance of seeing it and responding to you. But before we do that, I just want to showcase this T-shirt. The Motor City Aquarium Society was nice enough to send me a T-shirt, so I want to give them a little plug. If you're in the Detroit area and you like fish, and you want to hang out with fish nerds and go to an auction at a fish club and learn from a presentation at a fish club, check out Motor City Aquarium Society. Um, lots of the folks in this community go there. Fish Tank Barn, Lumpy Dog, there's, there's lots of folks that are in that area. So um, yeah, check them out if you're in the uh, Detroit area. And thanks for the shirt. I love it. <laughs> All right. The first one I can see is Empress Dowager Zuan. Yes, you finally got more bettas in. When will they be available? Yeah, so Friday. 
Um, natural aquariums. I have some of those Monai Juvies that I got from GPAS's newest Grandmaster Breeder. Who is the newest Grandmaster Breeder? By the way, at Dance Fish, excited to have you at Fishtoberfest. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to being in Portland to talk. Uh, I'll be there October 10th, and I'm going to talk about the, the proper way to ship fish, the principles that we need to keep in mind when we're shipping fish. It's still... It's still an area of this hobby and this industry that I constantly see done poorly. And so I'm on a mission to change that. We've made some inroads. There are people that are, are shipping fish much better, um, but we need to expand that still. And so there'll be a lot of people there that aren't on YouTube and things like that that uh, haven't heard the message yet. So we're spreading the good word <laughs> at Fishtoberfest. So I'll do that and also be available for any questions or anything. Um, yeah, I, there was a few topics I could have talked about, but that's, that's the one that I feel like that is super important that nobody is talking about. So I'm going to do it. Um, all right. I have to turn my fan on because I'm getting real hot, but I'll be right back. It's just right down here. Okay. Hey, people are throwing money at us. This is excellent. Fish Tank Barn throwing down $2. Thanks for the plug for the club. Hey, no problem. Happy to help local clubs out. I think they're important. Um, that's I grew up in local clubs, and I miss them. <laughs> Chattanooga Ed throwing down 5 bucks for the privilege of punching me in the face. <laughs> We're the Foxcat Ninja. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you. Kelly Foreman throwing down $4.99 saying, super excited for these rainbows. I'm glad you're excited. Thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated. Never required. But as you know, it does make the wife super happy when money falls out of the computer screen. Okay, I want to make sure that I'm not skipping anyone. When Didymus, I have two that have small pupils. Two what? I think it's Popeye. I treated one round of API fin and body, but no change in their eyes. Do you think second round of API or switch to a different antibiotic? Uh, when Didymus, because I ranted for so, monologued for so long, chat has jumped a lot and I can no longer get up high to ask which fish you're talking about. Um, if it's Popeye, the eyeball will be swollen and extended. Um, if it's a small pupil, sometimes that happens. There are fish that have that deformity either from birth or from, from an injury. And sometimes it looks like there's just kind of scaling around the eye where the eyeball should be with this tiny little pinprick that maybe gets a little bit of sight through it. So I'm not sure if you're describing Popeye. If you are, Think of like a celestial eye goldfish, kind of. It's kind of like that. This, the eye will be bigger than it should be. But if it's just the pupil is small and you have scaling around it, I wouldn't treat for that. That could be a birth defect or an injury. Stephen P, 2003, Aquatics. Yes, yes, yes. Take my money now. Hey. You know we take the money. <laughs> if you throw it down, we'll take it. No worries. But I'm glad you're excited, Stephen P. Glad you're excited. I know you've got that 90 gallon to stock. And uh, if you're looking for Picta, 
Oh, you were. And thank you for getting those picked. So it was you, Stephen P. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we could do that for you. I thought it might be, but couldn't remember. But we, I mean, we are, I guess we are counting on some good sales from this import. We, we went out on a limb and got some real expensive stuff and a lot of stuff. Um, this, this import is worth three times what our normal import is. So normally an import's worth 30, 35,000. This one's a hundred thousand dollars. So we have a lot on the line. <laughs> so if you've been wanting to buy from Dan's fish and have been on the fence, <laughs> now's the time. Give us a try. I promise you'll have a good experience. And if you don't, we'll take good care of you. Wichita Falls Fish Keeper. It's good to catch a live stream. I moved last month and am now just setting up my fish room. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy the new place. I hope it was like one of those happy moves, like an upgrade. And um, man, but I'm sorry you had to move. <laughs> That's no fun. Even if you're moving in, into an upgrade, just the process of moving. Woo! Good times, right? Donald Drew, do you prophylactically medicate the new fish you receive? Yes and no. Um, so in the past, I've always medicated um, every fish I've received. I've changed it a little bit since. I was watching some of Rachel, Rachel O'Leary's um, videos and saw that how she does it is she just observes and observes, sorry, I can't talk. And then um, if she sees a problem, then she medicates. And so I've been playing with that. There are some species that I still medicate because they're a little more delicate, but in general, what I've been doing the last few imports is just observing and seeing if any problems developed. And um, when they do, if they do, I should say, because they don't always, if a fish develops a problem, then I remove it and treat it. And I've been finding that to be as successful as prophylactically treating everything. Something that I am doing, though, is I'm working with an aquatic veterinarian. So I send them samples of the different fish we get, and they do a workup um, to check the, the fish for health. And if they find anything, then I know to treat for that. So, um, for example, um, this last batch, there's a few fish in it that we need to treat for nematodes. Easy to do. It's levamisol. You know, not a, not a difficult treatment at all. Um, there's some fish that have some ick. I mean, surprise, surprise, right? New fish. Some of them have ick. Yeah, that happens. That's pretty normal. Um, and that's it. That's about it. Um, so that's all that the vet found. So we're treating for some of that stuff. So that's, that's one of the reasons some of the fish I didn't talk about today, just cause they won't be ready Friday. Um, and we are sending a few fish into a lab for uh, histology just to make sure we didn't miss anything. Um, so we do our due diligence um, one way or another. It's done. But prophylactically, we, we don't do every fish anymore. And th the reason for it is this. Um, the warehouse we're building, the new facility that we're building is a flow through system. Constant fresh water into the tanks. Each tank will get 100% water change about every 40 minutes. 
So when you're putting a bunch of flow through a tank like that, you don't want to stop the flow and disrupt the whole system just to medicate. Um, the odds are that the fresh water, in most cases, is going to do more for the fish and their health and their recovery from import than medication. Now, not always. I mean, if you have nematodes, you need medicine, right? Those aren't going to go away on their own. But um, in general, we're relying on the system to be optimized and so good for the fish that it helps them recover from import without medication. Because it's how do you effectively medicate in a, in a tank with high flow? You can't. So, or high turnover, you can't. So the option is don't medicate or shut off the system to that tank, shut off the flow and medicate. And medication does stress out fish. It puts pressure on the liver and the kidneys and in, in general can be stressful for the fish. And so we're, we're trying to find methods to bring in the fish and have them be successful and, um, and be hardy and all that without all the prophylactic medications. And so we've been playing with that method and it's been working just fine. In fact, I would say it's working maybe better. Um, we just did our tally for the year on um, losses during shipping and it's even less than it was last year. So um, the new method seems to be maybe even a little better for the fish. So we're playing with it. Um, it was a big decision for me. I've always prophylactically medicated because in my mind, I wanted to never send a fish out that could have anything. I saw it as my duty to like medicate the fish with lots of different medicines to try to make sure it was completely clean before I sent it. What I'm learning is that might not be necessary because we're having high success. And when the vet is checking our fish, um, the veterinarian is finding no problems with them, even though we're not medicating. Now, if you do have the problems and we do treat those, like I said, so we're playing with it. Um, but so far it's going pretty well. And I think it'll go even better in the warehouse with that high volume turnover of the water. Um, Xanadoo-doo throwing out five bucks. How many here can imagine ordering $100,000 of fish? Blows my mind. My first order will be coming soon. Blows my mind too. And it it shows how far we've come. Um, you know, the first orders I did were, you know, a couple thousand bucks or so back when we were first starting this thing two and a half years ago. So in two and a half years, we've gone from a couple thousand dollars on an order to $100,000 on an order. And that's, that's our limit just because we don't have enough space to do more. Um, but the warehouse will solve that. So I can't wait to get in the warehouse and be able to, you know, reach our potential. But, yep, blows my mind too, Xanadudu. Gold Nugget Pleco Tetra. I know I've asked in the past, but, have, but I have a high-tech planted 10-gallon tank with a single endler right now. What if any goby or gobies are fairly hardy that would work? So gobies in general are hardy fish. So I'd say they're hardy. I, I don't think that's an issue. And that would go well with an endler. High tech. So you've got CO2 in there. Here's my hesitation answering that is I've never kept... 
um, aquariums with CO2 injection. All the gobies that I have available need come from streams and rivers with extremely high flow. So it's an oxygen rich kind of pure water environment. I don't know how the CO2 would affect them. I'm assuming it would be just fine, but that's the part of this that I can't answer. But what I can say is that the stiffidons, I'm sorry, not the stiffidons, the Sichiopterus, <laughs> not those either. I just said the two I, I meant not to say. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> okay, the, <laughs> the Lentipus and the Sichiopus, the, the two carnivorous types, should do just fine. Personality-wise, everyone will do fine with the Endler, but as far as like slow eating, um, that's the Stiphodons and the Sichiopterus. So I would stick with the two carnivore kinds, and as, as long as you get a bloodworm or two down to them every day, they'll be pretty good. Um, I mean, mix it up, but it'll be easier to feed them because they, they're quick feeding instead of little grazers. All right. Oh, chat's going to, there it goes. Bam. Okay. Sorry, guys. Chat jumped like a super jump. The next one I can see is Orange Cones. Did I notice that you're reusing the $48 bottle of airport water? Yes. $8. $8, not $48. But um, I, I took off the pretentious sticker and label, and now I was like, might as well reuse it. So it's my water bottle now. Why throw it away? Brian Maramba. Hey, I'm really into gobies and found one called the Sharptail Gobi. Um, Oligolepis acutipennis. Have you ever heard of these guys? I have heard of Sharptails. I'm going to look at this, though. Let's learn together. Oh, yes, I have heard of these. I've never kept them. I, I have seen pictures of them. Um, I don't know anything about them. I don't know if they're a brackish species or a pure freshwater. No clue. So I can't help you. I'm sorry. But I have seen those um, pop up as I've been researching gobies and kind of getting into them. But I'm absolutely no help, Brian. I'm sorry. If anyone else here knows of that fish or has kept it, would you chime in and, and uh, just let Brian know a little bit about them? Donald Drew, what is the lifespan of the fish you mentioned that grow up in salt water migrate to fresh that are long haul shippers? Um, I don't know for sure, but Hans George Evers wrote an article on them um, in Amazonas Magazine in 2004, I believe. And he had some that were five years plus. And they're wild collected, so who knows how old they were before that. So at least five years, maybe longer. And they're hardy fish. These are not delicate fish. They don't like ammonia and they don't like nitrite. They need, so they need, you know, clean water. I would not put them in a, a freshly cycled tank or anything. I put them in a nice mature tank that has some algae and some biofilm and is not going to, is, is much less likely to have an ammonia spike or, or some kind of crash. Um, but given that, I think they're really hardy. Gold Nugget Pleco Tetra. I know I've asked in the past, but a high tech. Oh, wait. I already got that one, I think. Um, Erie 77. Are any of the L number Plecos a mono shrimp safe? I mean, I would think they all are. 
I've never tried that. But a mono stripper is so kind of big and tough. I would think they could get away if a pleco tried to gnaw on it. Maybe not during the molt, though. This I don't know. I've seen lots of aquariums, though, with a mono shrimp and plecos in them, uh, including fancy plecos. But I don't know if the mono shrimp had only been in there for a day and then were gone the next week. I'm not sure. Can someone answer that? Has someone here kept like hypencystris type plecos with a mono shrimp long term? I think it would be okay, but I've never tried it. Stephen P, 2003 Aquatics. It was indeed I who requested the Melanotania Picta. My wallet is ready. <laughs> we should just, we should just, Steve, you should just move over here. <laughs> Natural Aquariums. That would be Ryan. Is it McKay or Mackey? Did I say a name wrong? I'm not sure what that's referencing to because I'm so far behind. Uh, the Desert Shadows, some companies ship USPS. What are your thoughts on this practice? I think it's fine. Um, I did it for years. But it's only fine if you ship properly, and most companies don't. So, <laughs> uh, shipping something that most companies do really badly. And like, like for the first 26 years of keeping in selling aquarium fish. That's how I did it. USPS priority. Couple things though. Priority has slowed down a lot over the last few years. It used to really take two days. Um, maybe three. Now it takes three days, often four, sometimes more. So it's not as reliable. Um, that can still be okay. I've shipped lots of boxes with USPS priority mail. They were in the mail for four or five days and did just fine. However, you really have to know how to ship. You have to clean the fish's intestinal tract before you ship it. You have to know how to get the water correctly, uh, the water parameters for shipping correct. Um, you have to make sure that oxygen saturation stays high in the bag and doesn't get depleted. Um, you have to have good insulation. You have to be kind of savvy with heat packs and cold packs. So I'm totally fine with it. I did it myself for a long time. If the shipper takes the time and thought to do it correctly. The gills, hasa basa, please tag dance. So we seize your question. Hey, thanks. Yep, that's how it works. Um, the reason I switched, and I know switching to FedEx and UPS uh, next day delivery has priced some people out. And um, I realized that. But the reason I switched is my entire mission here at Dance Fish is basically how do we take fish and make their experience in this industry, um, change it from we're all shoved into this cattle car on a train and it's hot and sweaty and there's no room. We're all pressed up against each other. And no one can breathe to Nope, I'm traveling first class on an airplane, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do. How do we make it so that their trip is less stressful and more humane and more respectful of the fish? And so part of that for me is shipping next day. The fish are in transit. I, I ship them out. Um, like we shipped a bunch of boxes this evening. We took them to, US, um, to UPS at 530. They will get to most customers before 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. So they're only in transit overnight, basically. Some of them won't get there until, if you're far flung or 
far away from a UPS hub, might not get there till the afternoon or evening, but pretty much all of them will get there tomorrow morning. It's just better for the fish. It's less likely something will go wrong. Um, it costs more, and I know it prices some people out. But again, my mission is what's best for the fish. So that's why we do it. Mitchell Broom, if you ever see Corridores semi aqualis on the list, I'll take a boatload of them to add to mine. Let's look at this one. Um, there were several quarries that this breeder has that I did not order. Bosmani being one, it's just the price point was very high. Okay, okay, cool. Looks looks kind of like a cross between a long nose and a long nose skunk and a CW124. Wait, that's is that one? I'm guessing it is. I forgot to share. Again. Yeah, I think these are what we're talking about. Cool. If I see them, um, I can't promise we'll bring them in. Like the, It has to make sense. It has to be a supplier I trust at a price point that I'm like, okay, they might be expensive, but people will still be interested because they're, they're rare, right? A lot of these are super hard to find. Um, and... Um, yeah, it has to all make sense. There's lots of vari variables I have to consider. Bryce Martin, how are your Melanotania Susii doing? They're awesome. I'm considering getting more. They're doing great. Um, they're pretty. Even at a small size, some of those males are colored up pretty nicely. I shipped one out just today. They're doing well. Killers Aquatics and Exotics. Hey, Bob, good to see you. Oh, I haven't thanked my mods yet. Thank you, mods, for being here tonight and doing what you do. I appreciate you very much managing this chat making this uh, a good place for all of us. Teddy Peacock asks, will you get bristlenose plecos anytime soon? Yes. Um, I brought in a batch of albino bristlenose plecos. They're going to need more time though. Um, we're having some losses until they stabilize and we know either exactly what's wrong and how to fix it, or they've been here long enough to stabilize. I can't sell them. So I'm holding on to them still. And it's likely going to be, um, I pulled some out today, so we're at least two weeks out from listing those, maybe longer. Basically, we, we try to make sure there's been no problems. If we have a batch of fish that's having a problem, sometimes we'll sit on them for, geez, I think I've sat on fish for six months before. Um, just to be sure we don't pass that problem onto a customer. We want to make sure it's resolved, and sometimes that takes time. Kids Aquatics, boom, flexing up <laughs> with the boss muscles. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Um, Hasabasa, do you ever get giant female bettas? So I'm not going to be bringing in any betta splendens for the foreseeable future. Um, two reasons. If I did it, I would want to have a separate system just for them that I could keep at about 84 degrees or so to keep them in optimal health. Um, mostly, that's what I would want to do. They do find that like one per tank, 
um, around. They, they actually do really well in those setups too. But if I like did large numbers or something, I need to get a separate system. But the other reason is there's someone that um, we're working with. You don't know about it yet, but um, this will be coming out. It, it's final. It's just uh, some things have to happen before it can be announced. We're, we're working f- with uh, someone who sells bettas um, and we don't want to compete with them. So uh, I've promised this person that I won't sell Beta Splendens just because, you know, that's a big part of their business and we don't want to, we're going to work together and we don't want to compete. So we're looking at synergizing together instead of competing is the way to say that, I suppose. Donald Drew, do you prophylactically medicate all new fish you receive or only if you have visible issues? So we already covered that one. Danny Queen Aquatics throwing down 10 bucks. Kenny E and Danny, thank you so much. Greater Portland Aquarium Society is looking forward to seeing you speaking at Fishtoberfest. Thanks again. Hey, I'm looking forward to being there. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to be able to meet some people that um, I've been, I've only known through the internet. Um, I think I'll be meeting Bob Steenfot for the first time. We're like good friends who have never met. <laughs> I, I feel that way about Bob. I feel like I could count on Bob. Um, and I'm going to meet Kent Lawrence. And well, you know the docket. There's there's some people that I just would love to meet in person and I'll get the chance. So October 10th, if you're in the Portland area, should be a good time. When Didymus... Oh, it's Bosmane rainbows, too affected out of the southern fish with the eye thing. When Didymus, it is fairly common in the rainbows to have a deformed or scaled over eye with a tiny little pupil uh, showing through. It happens a lot. Um, and I wouldn't treat for that. I don't think it's a disease. I think it's a deformity or an injury. But I would say that over the past year, I've probably had seven rainbows that have had that and they came in with it um, and it didn't really affect them negatively. They live normal lives, but I, I think it's a deformity. Wichita Falls Fishkeeper, my L236. Oh, I do want to say though, Windidimus, if I'm mistaken and they're actually bulging out, then there might be something that you need to look into. But if it's that mini eye thing, that's different. Back to Wichita. My L236 breeding group didn't make the move. Ooh, Texas 100 degree temps got them. I saw you post on the other page. Will you be bringing in more of those? Um, So I'm going to be listing a bunch of those on Friday. I have, I currently have 17 of them available. Uh, And that's all I'm going to have for quite a while. Um, So um, I, if you weren't here for the beginning, I went into the details on that species, my source for them, the, the, the line they came from and all that in some detail. Um, so I do have L236 super whites. These are the Ernst Schmidt line, which, I mean, he's really close friends with the gentleman that developed the RB line. So that's pretty much the same line, but I want to give Ernst his credit for his work as well. Um, they're not going to be cheap. Uh, these were very, ex- I, <laughs> I couldn't believe I spent the money to bring them in, but I do have a group of them. Yes. But just so you know, they're going to be very expensive. 
Kind Online. Dang, I just bought a pair of Better Rubra and Aljamar Albamarginata, yet you got new Bettas and Licorice Garamis. My wallet will suffer. Well, that's what we do here. <laughs> we make wallets suffer. <laughs> but in exchange for happiness. <laughs> but but thanks to you and all our other customers. Um, it's been an amazing journey. Um, we're the, the company's growing, we're doing well, and we're able to get where we want to go so far. We've got a long ways to go, but I just want to thank everyone that supports us. I know we're not the cheapest company. Um, I know you have options where you can buy fish less expensive. Well, maybe not the L236 Super Whites. Those are hard to find, but um, or some of the quarries and gobies and stuff that we have. But in general, I know that we're pricier than most companies. And it's not because we're like making a bunch on the back end. It's just those are the real costs that it takes to um, to treat the fish as humanely as possible and still stay in business. So everyone that understands that and is on board with that and is like, you know what? I'll buy them from Dan, even though they're a little more because I know that he treats them right and is trying to like make a systemic change that's beneficial and because they won't die on me. <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. All right. Hang on. Chat jumped again. I'm going up to. Okay, here we go. Gold Nugget Pleco, Tetra, currently not running CO2. Oh, I think that I think the gobies will be fine then. Um, if the tank's nice and stable, um, the water's clean enough for good oxygen saturation. So that's usually, that doesn't necessarily mean tons of like flow and tons of bubbles and stuff. It means clean water. Um, and uh, yeah, then I, I think they'll probably be fine in there with an endler. Wow. The archers are going nuts. We calm? Everyone good? There they go. I wonder if that's a hierarchy dispute or if, if we've got some breeding action about to start. I don't know. Donald Drew, do you know the approximate... Oh, wait. Yeah, I already talked about that. Five years plus for those gobies. At least five years. It might have been seven, but at least five. Hasabasa, are you going to Aquashella, Dallas? No, I am... I am so crazy. I can't even explain how much there is to do here. Um, so we're building a, a big warehouse and moving into it and managing that project along with just keeping the business going, not to mention all the other expansion and, and plans we're working on. Um, no, I'm lucky if I have time to like sleep and shower. Yeah, no, can't make it to Aquashilla. I mean, if it, if Aquashilla wanted me to speak, then I would go. But but just going for to hang out and for funsies, I can't right now. I just got too much, too many responsibilities. Um, there's too many people counting on this going well, including myself. <laughs> I I can't take any. Uh, yeah, I can't just go play. It's pretty much all day working. Brian Klimazowski, so I want a puffer to feed all my snails instead of tossing them. Any recommendations for a puffer that would work in a community-like setting would be putting in with a few rainbows. Um, 
I think that the best puffer for communities is the Amazon puffer. I don't have any. I know that the Spotted Congo puffer is more community oriented than some puffers, um, but I've never seen them kept long term in a community aquarium. Maybe they can. I just don't have personal experience or ha don't have close friends that have done it that I've seen, you know, been on the journey with. Um, the Amazon puffers I, I've seen kept long term in aquariums. They have a lot of community fish and they've been just fine. So that would be my recommendation. Um, Amazon puffers, as far as I know, are all wild caught. So they're going to need some real deworming. Um, it's either get them from someone you trust who knows how to quarantine and medicate and get those fish healthy or um, get some prosy and Metro and Levamisol and, and some live black worms and stuff and see if you can get them over that. But they're going to, they almost always come in, in in shape. That's kind of a shame. So it can be an uphill battle unless you can find long-term captive ones. Brian Maramba. Well, shoot. Thanks anyway. Hey, you're welcome. I, I, I can't win them all. <laughs> Don't know everything. Montana AIDS. Have you come across any different whiptail catfish to bring in other than the red lizards? Yeah. Um, there's several available. Um, I haven't hit the trigger yet, though, because I only have so many tanks that they would do well in. Whiptails want good flow and they want um, the, my favorite way to keep them is you get a whole bunch of java fern and I just let it float and grow in a big ball. You can do it with Anubius or whatever. And I have that right over the flow from the sponge and box filters. And all the whiptails go and hang out on those leaves. And that's kind of what they do in the wild. In the wild, they hang out on vegetation in really fast flowing water. So they're on plant leaves, just grazing algae and, and little critters and stuff. So that works well for me. Um, and then I also like to put rocks on the bottom. So there's a bunch of surface area for them to graze in down there. I only have one tank set up properly like that for them. So I haven't brought in a lot of whiptails. Um, I just, Java moss is a slow, or Java fern, sorry, not Java moss, Java fern is the one, is a slow grower. And so I don't have enough of it, but one day I'll get more whiptails. Steve Ehrlich. Hey, Steve. Good to see you, my friend. Hope you're doing well. The map for the gobies was outstanding. Thank you. And I should give Steve some credit for this. Um, Steve is helping me um, down in Los Angeles to make sure that the fish are treated well when they're first imported. And he also did the research to find out where all these little gobies were from. And so I would not have been able to make that map if Steve hadn't helped. So thank you as well, my friend. Uh, good to hear from you. Hope you're doing well. And please give my best to, uh, to Paul. It's me. What puffers could I keep in a 29 GSL? I think that's supposed to be gal. <laughs> gallon. Let's see here. In a 29 gallon. You could do, I think, a single um, spotted Congo puffer. Um... I think Amazon puffers like to be in groups, so I wouldn't do that. But uh, Congo, spotted Congo puffers, I don't think mine being alone at all. So I think you could do one in there. Um, or you could do a group of pea puffers. 
those are the only two really that in a tank that size, unless you want to go brackish or something, but assuming freshwater puffers, those are the only two that I'm aware of that I would probably keep in a tank like that. Oh, dragon puffers would be fine. Um, is this a three foot long tank? I'm assuming it's a three foot footprint. Uh, a lot of your sit and wait smaller ambush puffers would be fine. They don't swim around a lot. They kind of sit and wait for food. Um, so they don't need a big tank for swimming around. I have a dragon puffer and a 40 gallon breeder, which is a three foot footprint. And that thing is love and life. It's my little pet. Hasabasa, you've been the first person to pronounce my username <laughs> right. <laughs> what can I say? I like a Hasa. Bunny Viper, Diakayo say hi yo. Hope you're doing well. You too. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm glad you're getting into killifish. Um, I know you were talking last week about how do you produce in some quantity and stuff. So if you try the mops and all that, uh, let us know how it goes. Dolly Vigil, Dolly! My goodness, how long has it been? Man, I missed your TED Talks <laughs> so much. Thanks. Hey, Dolly, it's good to see you. It's been a long time, I feel like, since, since you've been around. Thanks for checking in. <laughs> the TED Talk. All right, Fishaholic. Oh, and it just jumped. Oh, I've got an itch. Don't you hate it when you're on camera and the inside of your nose itches? What can you do? Not much. <laughs> Fishaholic at Danikin Aquatics. Um, oh, cool. You're coming? Cool. I'll see you there at Fishtoberfest. Awesome, Sean. Bunny Viper, I was wondering if you might carry more bumblebee gobies in the future. I just love my little guys. They need more buddies. So I do have another group right now of freshwater bumblebee gobies. I did bring more in, um, but they have ick right now. So that's why I didn't talk about them. Hopefully they beat the ick and within a couple weeks uh, we can sell them. It's tricky though. This doesn't look like there's, there's different kinds of ick, right? So there's like over 20 organisms that can create white spots in fish. We tend to call them all ick, but they aren't. Um, and if it's the larger white spots, I can almost always treat that really quick with ick or quick cure or whatever. But if it's the smaller white spots, that can be difficult. So unfortunately, this is the smaller white spots um, I've been treating them with ICX for a couple days now, not long enough to know for sure if it's working or not. Um, so my hope is that it's one of the ick white spot causing organisms that is susceptible to formalin and malachite green. Those are the active ingredients in ICX. If it's not, then it could take some doing to figure those guys out. So hopefully it's simple ick or something susceptible to an ick medicine but uh, I'm working on them. I have had cases in the past, not often, but I think it's probably happened three or four times um, over the last two and a half years where a batch of fish has come in, had something that looked like ick, but was not susceptible to ick medication at all. It wasn't susceptible to copper at all. Turns out it was probably a virus. There's different viruses that can cause that. So, um, if it's something I can treat, then I'll clean them up. And once they're been clean for a long time, then I'll list them for sale again. Um, hopefully that's the case. It almost always is. 
Okay, we're, we got one more minute, so we've got to do the giveaway. We can't keep the mods late again. So this is for a group of um, Orange Venezuelan Corridors. I'll send you probably three of them um, if you win this. And no, I'll send you six. They like to be in big groups. I'll send you six. And the winner is Robert Lambrecht. Robert, I'm glad you won. You've been you've been a member here doing stuff. A member. It's not like we have paid memberships like some channels. You've been an active part of this uh, live stream for a while. So congratulations. You have two minutes to chime in. Let us know that you're here because you do have to be present to win. And then you'll have won six orange Corridores um, Venezuelans. While we're waiting, Real Stinks. Hey, Real. Good to see you. I'm breeding Blue-Eyed Lemon Pleco. Cool. Albino Brown Pleco. And Super Red Plecos. All of them are bushy nose. What Pleco should I try next? Well... Um, if you want to stay with the ancestress types, I think like one of the 280 somethings would be good. So let me show you these. Make sure I have it right. I think it's like 283 um, Pleco. Yeah. So I got some of these. Um, wait, that doesn't look right. L283. 281? Okay. Starlight Pleco. What's that one? These guys. 183. Okay. So like the 180, 181, 182, 183, I believe are all kind of these ancestress type, kind of starlight type Plecos um, that I'm not showing you. There we go. I got some from Mile High Plecos. Uh, couple years ago now maybe they're doing great they're they're a lot like a bushy nose they're an ancestress so if you can keep bushy nose you can keep these um i haven't tried breeding them or anything yet but my understanding is they should be pretty simple to breed so um that's one to maybe look into robert lambrecht is here all right robert congratulations um Again, thanks for, thanks for being a good part of this community, um, this stream. And if you would send me an email with your first and last name and your mailing address, I'll know where to send those fish next week. Um, I'll probably send them out on Thursday next week for Friday delivery. Um, but if that doesn't work for you, just let me know in the email and we'll figure out another time. But congratulations. I love the orange Venezuelanus um, quarries there. They're just so pretty. There's Hardy's like an Aeneas and so colorful. So, yep. All right. We're going to cut it off here to my mods. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. For everyone that left money on the table and threw a super chat at us, thank you. If I missed one, I'm super sorry. I think I got them all. Um, we're excited to be listing all these new fish for sale this Friday. Um, we anticipate not sleeping at all next week and just packing fish 24-7. <laughs> we hope that happens. <laughs> and I want to thank everyone that asked a question or left a comment. If I didn't get to you, I'm sorry. It was, uh, there's a lot going on tonight. Hey, Steen Fox here. Good to see you, Bob. Hope you're doing well. Um, and if, if you want to help Bob out, if you have not ordered from Dan's Fish before, 
Bob Steenfont is an affiliate of ours, and on his website or on his YouTube channel, I don't I don't know if it's on his website, but on his YouTube channel, you can go to his latest videos and see a link to Dan's Fish. If you click that and make a purchase, Bob will get a small portion of that, and uh, you'll be able to help him out. So. If you haven't ordered from us before, click on Bob's channel, click his link, and then purchase, and that'll help us out and help Bob out. Two birds with one stone. Anyways, um, where was I at? Oh, hail the Lurker Nation. Um, if you're watching on the replay, I get it, life's busy, but I hope one day you can be here live. That's about it for me, though. We'll be back the same bat time, same bat channel next week. Until then, I hope you have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye.